Our scripture reading is from Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. Know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the guidance it gives. Let us dwell on it in this service today and throughout the week. And let your spirit be on us to guide us and give us discernment. We pray for Andrew now as he brings the word to us. That he will find the words to say through your spirit and through the study that he did this week. Watch over us throughout the week. Strengthen us physically and spiritually so that we may serve you and serve one another. In your name, amen. You may be seated. We have in the scriptures a, a very disruptive letter. Um, I'm not talking about Ephesians right now. I, I'm talking about a letter that Paul wrote uh, to a friend of his named Philemon. Uh, and he was urging Philemon uh, to consider taking back a runaway slave. Uh, he, in the course of the letter, says this, although I'm bold enough in Christ to command you, this is Paul as a spiritual leader for Philemon, to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you. Uh, his name has to do with use and usefulness, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Uh, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own free will. For this is perhaps why he was parted for you from a while, for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave or a bondservant, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother." I say it was disruptive, and, and it is. It's disruptive because Paul is reframing 
this relationship between Philemon and Onesimus, who is part of his household. Uh, Previously, um, Philemon and Onesimus related to each other through the grid of Roman society. Uh, that of slave or bond servant, talk about that in just a minute, uh, and, and master. And, and there was certain expectations that went along with that, certain, um, uh, certain requirements, certain expectations now that Onesimus has run away. Uh, and if he were to come back, what the expectations would be, i.e. death. Uh, but Paul is reframing this relationship. John Stott Uh, in his commentary on Ephesians, says this. He says, the highest aspect of the transformed slave-master relationship is brotherhood. It appears with conspicuous clarity in Paul's letter to Philemon. The concept of brotherhood was an innovation of the Apostle Paul, obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, For God's new society is the father's household or family, and all of whose members are related to one another in Christ as brothers and sisters. Do you see how disruptive uh, this letter was to Philemon? You know, the potential that it had to subvert an entire system uh, and this is exactly what Paul is getting at here. We've now, this is our third week in these household codes uh, that we have here in Ephesians. Paul addressed first uh, wives and husbands, the marital relationship. He addressed secondly children and parents, the, that relationship that exists there. And now he turns to to slaves and masters, or as the text that you have there says, bond servants and masters. And, and we want to see how Paul keeps pushing uh, this uh, new way of thinking. This, as we said from uh, chapter 5, 18 to 21, this spirit-filled way of thinking. If, if you are indeed a new creation, if you indeed have been filled with the Spirit, it is going to have transformative and subversive effects in the way that you relate to the world around you. A couple of things, though, by way of prolegomena. Do you guys know that word? Uh, that is a crucial discourse that comes before a teaching. Uh, so uh, you find these in, in books and other places, the prolegomena. We have a little bit of crucial discourse this morning before we dive into things. Uh, the first thing is we have to address this issue of slavery. Uh, the translation that you have in the ESV, I actually have a, a, a more original translation of the ESV, one of the first editions, and they actually have the word slaves in there, but you have bondservants. Uh, the word is doulos uh, from the Greek, and it has a range of meaning that can cover slaves, bondservants, all of that. Uh, slavery was very common in the Roman world. Estimates go from a third to a half Uh, of the population were considered slaves. Now, right away, we we have to just deal with this image that we have of slavery as race-based chattel slavery of 160 years ago. 
that we fought a civil war over to, to get rid of. That is not the kind of slavery that existed in the Roman world. This is not a defense of Roman slavery, and we're going to talk more about that as we go. But slavery then was very different. Uh, slaves uh, had social status uh, within the community, uh, largely the social status of the house that you had, uh, the household that you were a part of. You could be a teacher, you could be all these different things, you could be a professional, um, you were paid, uh, you could earn and most often did earn your freedom. Uh, you were a slave for a particular period of time. Um, slaves also uh, had rights. Uh, They could own property. They could do all of these different sorts of things within the empire. Now, that is not to say that there were aspects of Roman slavery that were horrible. There, There were, and we've talked about some of those things as we've gone on. The sexual ethic of the Roman day, you know, made it very free for masters to take advantage of their slaves. Uh, there were, you know, all of these people came by being conquered people. Uh, their, their people were conquered, and, and so they, by virtue of that, entered into to this Roman society in this slavery sort of status. So it, it was not good in and of itself, uh, but it was not exactly the slavery that we think of here. And this is why, you know, we, we can approach this with a sense of, of connection to this. Not that we uh, exist in a moment where we might be considered slaves or bond servants, but we, we know what it's like to be under uh, people. We know what it's like to have responsibility. We know what it's like to have things demanded of us and all of those different things. So there is a certain sense in which we think about work, employment, and all of those different things that go along with it. You know, whether you are on the side of the employer who is calling forth things from those that are under you or whether you are under and you are seeking to uh, surrender, live under those that are over you. So I, I hope that helps, and, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the Scripture's attitude towards this as we continue to go, around, go along. The second thing that we need to say by way of prolegomena has to do with households. Uh, this is, again, a, a household code, and, and Paul is addressing husbands and wives, children and parents, and this slave-master relationship within the context of a household. This was the basic building block of the Roman society. And uh, the, the work that took place in the society happened within the household. I don't have time to go into all of this, but, you know, it's interesting if we study history, uh, and some of you are way more versed in this than I am, but the Industrial Revolution uh, really changed the way that we thought about work. Uh, in, in many ways, for the first time in history, this is when people went out into factories and other things in order to work, and work was taken away from the household. 
Uh, but, but here, back in, in the first century, work was very much tied up with the household and, and what went on with regards to that. And, and so Paul is addressing this very basic unit of society. And there are a couple of observations to make about this. Uh, one, and again, we're going to allude to this throughout, Paul is not necessarily looking to stimulate a outside-in, a top-down social change. His purpose here is not to address Roman society uh, in terms of its rightness or wrongness. He, he is coming to parents and children. He's coming to wives and husbands. He's, he's coming to slaves and masters, and he's saying this is the kind of attitude or heart that you need to have within the place where you have been put. That, that's his purpose in this. Uh, his purpose is, is not to, and I'm, I want to be careful here, make a distinction. His purpose here is not to change it from the outside in, the top down. As we're going to see, he, he does have revolution in mind, but it's a different kind of revolution. It, it's not from the outside in or the top down. The second thing that I'll just observe, you know, as he addresses these households, He's also not really concerned with one of our, our modern obsessions. Uh, one of our modern obsessions is, does my work fulfill me? You know, does my work make me happy? Uh, this, of course, is just a result of individualism and, you know, all of the different things that have become so dominant in our, our modern times. Uh, we're, we're always asking that question. I, I would say, you know, over my years as a minister, just addressing that with different people has been one of the major things that, that we've talked about in, in different times. Uh, but Paul's not concerned about that. You know, Paul is, is more concerned with contentedness in the station in which you have been put. So again, you know, there have been major changes sociologically over the years. I mean, it used to be if my dad was a butcher, the, the chances are that I would be a butcher. Now, there's a good possibility that I would be a horrible butcher. Uh, in fact, there's a strong possibility of that. Uh, uh, but that, that wasn't really something that people thought about. Uh, people were much more in line with you know, where am I? What have I been given? How do I operate within that? Now, I'm not necessarily saying that that is right or wrong. Uh, I, I'm not necessarily saying that you can't do what you enjoy. You just have to do what your parents do. Uh, that, that's not, not where we're trying to go. But I think we, we are helped with this you know, as we think about this broader topic of, of uh, slaves and masters, work, employees, all of these things, if we recognize that what we can control is our attitude within the place where we are placed, the place where we find ourselves. That, that's where Paul is addressing and Paul, where Paul is, is starting his teaching here. So that's the prolegomena. The other thing I would just say about this is like, um, you know, like women and like 
children. It's significant that Paul addresses slaves. You know, within the church, you know, not only within society, within the church, you have the, the basic building blocks being the household. And so here in the church, you have masters and slaves, and, yeah, and, and that's what Paul is getting at when he's talking to Onesimus, or he's talking to Philemon about Onesimus. He's saying the gospel has really changed the nature of our relationship. You know, it used to be that you only related to him as his master and he as your slave, but now he is your brother. Uh, and, and so as you sit here in church, Ephesians, and you are hearing this teaching, recognize that we are all one in Christ. That's the prolegomena. So what does that mean? Uh, like I said, Paul is not interested in taking on Roman society from the top down or from the outside in, but he is interested in taking on Roman society from the inside out. Uh, and this is one of the things that, that we see in Christianity a lot. may even be helpful for you as you think about, you know, what is the Christian's role in society? How do we relate to society? You know, Paul, there are more extreme examples of this where he, he talks about in Romans 13 respecting the emperor. Well, likelihood was the emperor was Nero at that time. You know, and, and Paul is not saying, let's stage a coup, you know, let's uh, put together a, uh, you know, a black ops assassin team, but rather he's saying respect, because there's a different kind of power with Christianity. One that comes from understanding a couple of different principles, and here we go. The first is, you know, when it comes to work, we have to understand that both employers and employees, both masters and slaves or bond servants here, we, we all have the same master. This is pretty clear uh, from the text. Uh, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Uh, but as servants of Christ, verse 6, doing the will of God, rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to man, uh, masters do the same, stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Three things uh, uh, just to observe about this idea of having a shared master. Paul is, is wanting to make clear, like in your relationships, in your work, if we'll just say it that way, okay, in your work, in the relationships that you have of, of, of Lord and subordinate, um, you, your true master is the Lord. And the work that you do is not primarily for your boss. It is for the Lord. Uh, the work that you do is not simply to please this person. It's not simply to feed the bottom line. The work that you do is for the Lord. Now, I know that this is incredibly practical. Uh, for all of us, because most of us, you know, are going to work, uh, you know, over the course of the day. And I use that term broadly. Uh, I would say, you know, we sometimes uh, 
zero in and work as something that we get paid to do, but all of us have an occupation. We have something that occupies our time that we give ourselves to. It could be school. So young people, pay attention. This is talking to you in terms of how do you think about your relationships at school or at university or any of those types of things. It could be just the work that you do in the home or in a community uh, that you are not paid for, but you are still doing that for the Lord, not simply for the person who is calling the shots or for the organization or even for the people that you're seeking to serve. You know, there, there is that, of course. You, we're serving them. But ultimately, you are doing it for the Lord. And, and the Lord is the one who is going to examine your heart. The Lord is the one that is going to see your motives. The Lord is the one that's going to see your cheerfulness or your grudgingliness or your bitterness or whatever it is that is in your heart. You know, you are doing it for the Lord and, and, and Paul wants us to remember that. Part of, I think, what Paul is saying here, especially for masters, uh, is that we are all people under authority. There is nobody here, no matter what your station in life, even if you were the president of the United States, you know, or the highest uh, the highest potentate that you can think of in the world, you are a person that is under authority. We, we all have that, and, and we are only going to be able to operate in a way that pleases the Lord when we remember that we are uh, people that are under authority. And, and that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you're working for the Lord. He is your master. He is the one that's going to evaluate your heart. Do your work unto him, not simply for these people. Uh, do your work as one who is under authority. You do not have absolute autonomy. The bottom line cannot be your absolute bottom line because you are working for the Lord. Again, so much practicality here in terms of, you know, what outcomes are we desiring for our work? Uh, so much practicality here in terms of what do I do when I, when I work for a really miserable company and a really miserable boss? Uh, what do I do when I'm, I'm called to do something that is unethical in my work? We work for the Lord uh, primarily. Now, that, that may call you at times to say, I, I'm out. I, I can't do this anymore. Uh, you're asking me to do things that I know do not line up with, you know, the call that God has placed in my life, uh, the, the clear teaching that we have in scriptures. Therefore, I can no longer work for you because my greater boss uh, is calling me to trust in a different way and, and to move in a different direction. And this is why we, we do have great joy. And I think some of you have been in this and I hear testimonies of that. When, when you do work for somebody who has the same goals as you, you know, who, who says, yes, we really want to honor the Lord. You know, whatever it is, 
You know, whether you are, you know, in what we consider more blue-collar work, you're, you know, fixing pipes or laying carpet or whatever it might be, or whether it's more in, uh, you know, what we would call professional work, uh, you are a physician or an attorney or whatever, when you're working for people who, who really want to see uh, humanity flourish, you know, beauty come forth, justice, uh, true mercy, all of those things. There, there's a sweet joy that comes in, in that resonance. And, and oftentimes where we struggle is when we, we don't feel that. But one of the things that frees us and also pushes us forward is this idea uh, that we work for God. And it's interesting what he says here at the end of, of verse 9 is he says, there is no partiality with our greater boss. You know, there's no partiality with the Lord. Literally, the, the Greek reads, he is no respecter of persons. You know, so whether you are in a low position socially or in a high position socially, whether your influence is great or small, you know, God, God doesn't see that. He just sees your heart. He, he sees, you know, where, what are you serving? How are you living? How are you orienting your work? Are you doing it for me? And, and that's, his, that's his question. Not, not how much have you done, how much have you earned. You know, we gauge everything through how much have you earned, you know, this bottom line of money. But that, those aren't the questions that, that God has. He, he's no respecter of persons, and he's looking for his glory. The second thing that, uh, the second principle that will transform the way that we work, not only are we remember that we're doing it all for God, but then secondly, that we have these shared attitudes towards one another, particularly. So notice uh, verse 5, slaves, uh, uh, or bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. That is the attitude uh, that we are to have towards the one who is above us. And then Paul says a remarkable thing in verse 9. He says, masters, do the same to them. And I believe there he's referring back to how slaves are to obey their earthly masters with fear and trembling. He is now saying, masters, do the same to them. This is really, a, again, subversive, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. It is an attitude towards one another that just flies in the face of everything that Rome was talked about. You know, Rome, it was all power. And if you could exercise power over those below you, then you proved your worth. But what Paul is saying here, and this shouldn't be a surprise to you. I recognize a lot of faces. We talk about this all the time. Paul is going in the opposite direction. And, and, and he's saying it's not your power that is going to get you respect, but it's seeing people and being seen through transformed eyes and transformed hearts 
through the eyes that come to dominate a believing community. You know, Paul does say obey. This is the same idea that we've been talking about all the way since 521, submit yourselves to one another. Uh, we saw in, in Philippians 2, this is a, a common idea. Let this mind be in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that you look not to your own interests, uh, but that you look to the interests of others. You know, Paul says in Galatians 5, he says, you were called to freedom, brothers, uh, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love become slaves, serve one another. It's that same word, doulos. You see, there, there is this attitude here where Paul is saying over and over and over again, whether it's wives and husbands, husbands and wives, children and parents, parents and children, slaves and masters, masters and slaves, whoever you are, you're to look to the interests of the other. Whoever you are, you have freedom, you have agency, <coughs> you, have, you, you are a person, but you are not to use the rights and the freedom that you have to serve yourself, but rather you are to surrender that in order to serve the person who is across from you. That's incredible, isn't it? And you can begin to see why this kind of thinking, this kind of attitude is really subversive. Because if we were to all truly live by that, wow. You know, what, what would happen? What would our world look like? How would our Facebook feeds look different? You know, what? it would be incredible. Now, how do we do that? You know, Paul says, serve one another, obey one another here uh, with fear and trembling. Fear, phobos. Uh, 521 in Ephesians. Do you remember this passage? Uh, submitting to one another out of, your text says, reverence for Christ. But we highlighted there that the word is actually out of fear for Christ. Do you see what Paul is saying here? He, he's saying that we are to have the same attitude towards our fellow humans that we have for Christ. How can that be? Well, it's completely consistent with, with the, the rest of the teaching of Scriptures. Because the rest of the teaching of scriptures tells us that humanity was created in the image of God. And when we see one another, when we truly see one another, we, we are seeing a, a piece, a portrait, a part of who God is. And, and Paul is saying, recover that in your souls, in your, in your relations day by day, in your boss, in that coworker who you can't stand. They just annoy you. It's like rubbing a cat backwards. And then you have to go wash your hands because you're incredibly allergic to cats. But uh, yeah, it's just this really difficult thing. See the face of God. So... 
Genesis chapter 32 and 33, there's this story. Jacob and Esau, they're at enmity with one another. If you don't know the story, go back and read it. I, I don't have time to go into it in depth. But uh, Jacob sort of runs away. He runs away from God. Uh, he has this moment where he wrestles with the angel of the Lord, who we believe is probably a, a manifestation of God himself. Uh, and he, uh, he is crippled in the process of that, but he lives and he says at the end of chapter 32, he says, I have seen God face to face, and I have not died. That's the end of chapter 32. Then in 33, he meets Esau, this one who, his brother, who he'd been at enmity with, has been his enemy, and he sends these gifts, and Esau and Jacob finally meet, and he says, Esau says, I don't need these gifts. He says, take them, my brother. Jacob says that. For seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. You see, when, when, when Jacob understood who God is and, and what he was calling from him in his life, and when he had actually surrendered himself and was willing to limp through life, it transformed the way that he saw his brother. It transformed the way that he saw his enemy. He no longer saw them as just his enemy, but he saw in Esau, this is chapter 33, verse 10, he saw in Esau the very face of God. This is the attitude that we are to have as you go out. You know, I say we are to have, we're, we're invited to have. You know, God says, you know, see the world through my eyes. You know, see the beauty in this person who, who may be incredibly difficult, but they're made in my image. A and if you truly see them, it's like you're seeing me. The last thing I want to highlight for you is not only uh, do we have these shared master and the shared attitudes, but I do really believe that if, if these uh, principles drive deep in our hearts, we, we will be part of a shared revolution. Again, not a revolution from the outside in. And that's a mistake that a lot of people make. Even in, in our society, you know, we, we think that, you know, the kingdom, we pray, Lord, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we sometimes think that, uh, you know, that means we, we have to establish the kingdom, that we have to do that. And we, we do this from the outside in by voting for the right candidates or by, you know, being involved in, in this social justice endeavor or whatever it might be. Now, there are places for all of those things, but that can't be our hope. And this is what Paul is saying. He's like, yes, I, I want you to live in such a way that Roman slavery cannot help but die. But it's going to be from the inside out. It's going to be by the weakest shaming the strong. You know, that's other Pauline language. It's not by might, not by power. You know, it, but it's, it's, the, it's the weak who put to shame the, the, the strong. It's the foolishness of, the, uh, of God that, that makes 
wise, you know, that, that, that subverts the wise, that, that shows true wisdom as opposed to folly. Notice in each of these, he, he starts with, you know, in, in, in chapter 5, verse 22, he starts with wives, submit to your husbands. In, in chapter 6, verse 1, he starts with children, obey your parents. And then here in 6, verse 5, he says, slaves, obey your masters. It's really interesting to me that he starts with the weak things of this world. And, and I don't mean physically weak. Uh, necessarily, I mean societally weak. You know, women, children, and slaves had no standing in the Roman culture. They had no voice. They couldn't vote. You know, there, there were all of these things that, that, that they could not do. But Paul says, you are going to change the world. Because, because God's economy uh, is different. But you're not going to change the world by exerting your power. You're not going to change the world by now becoming the masters, by flipping the script. That, that's not how you change the world. You're going to change the world by submitting. You're going to change the world by obeying. You're going to change the world by not looking to your own interests, but looking to the interests of others, by realizing that you are not serving this person, but you are serving God, by seeing the face of God in the very people that you come into contact with. That's how the world is going to change. And, and we're part of this. And this shouldn't surprise us at all. Because when Jesus came into this world... Where did he go? He didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't go to Rome. He didn't go to Alexandria. You know, these places of wisdom and power in the ancient world. He went to a stable in Bethlehem. He was born to a nondescript virgin from a nondescript town. He had no form or comeliness that we should admire him. He went to a place of weakness. He became obedient even to death on a cross in order that we might, through his death, gain life. We saw in Matthew, we see it also in, uh, in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to make himself a slave. It's that same word. In order that we might be ransomed from our sin. This is the gospel way. You know, this is why Jesus says that the, the gospel, it's, it's like a mustard seed. It's tiny. Uh, it seems insignificant. You don't always see it. Maybe it even can be overlooked, but it will grow. And it will become the largest in the community. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, we're looking for a revolution, but not, you know, not the slave rebellion, the noted revolutions of our, our century. But we're looking for a revolution that starts in your heart. 
We're looking for a revolution that comes because you in yourself have been subverted by the love of Jesus and you are ready to go and subvert others with that same love. Is that you? Is that us as a community? This is where God invites us to be in all of our places. Can we pray with me? Lord, I thank you for... For this word, I thank you for the invitation that it gives us <clears throat> to remember that you are our God and our King, but also that you did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but you made yourself nothing, taking on the form of a slave, becoming obedient to death on a cross in order that we might have life. Lord, thank you for forgiving your life as the ransom for ours. We pray now that we would have that same spirit that would lead us and guide us, especially in our places uh, where we occupy so much of our time, our work, our service, our schoolwork. May we have the same heart, the same eyes that sees others uh, as we see you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.